Welcome to the Not All Live Life podcast. I'm your host, Rowan Moreno. Today, we have two-time New York Times bestselling author, NASA personal trainer, and creator of Fit to Fat to Fit, Drew Manning. Welcome. What's up, Romy? Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really happy that you're joining us today and sharing your story and what you do. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Yeah, so, well, most people know me as the fit to fit to fit guy, <laughs> but my name is Drew. And um, yeah, what do I do? I I like to tell, and this probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I like to help people feel less broken. And though, and so even though I help them in the realm of health and fitness, <clears throat> a lot of the work I do is more so on the mental and emotional side rather than just the physical transformation side even though there's a component of that, right? Physical transformation, weight loss, you know, fat loss, all that stuff. But it's a it's a unique, different approach because of something I did called fit to fat to fit, which is I'm sure something that we'll get into and which was a crazy experiment I did. I've done twice now. So that's a little bit about what I do and, you know, who I am. Well, that's how I came across you because of the fit to fat journey. And just hearing the reason as to why you did it, I felt that that was such a beautiful thing because you wanted to understand your clients. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters and we all played sports. So for me, football and wrestling were two sports that I grew up doing. So naturally, as a consequence of that being very active, I was never overweight and I was kind of always into health and fitness Fast forward to 2009, I became certified as a personal trainer and started taking on clients. And here I was, someone who had never been overweight a day in their life, trying to help people who were overweight pretty much the majority of their life. And there's an obvious disconnect between me never being overweight and my clients, because I couldn't understand why they couldn't just be disciplined and just have the willpower to be consistent and follow the meal plans that I gave them and do the workouts every single day without question, even if they weren't feeling motivated or they're feeling kind of sad or you know depressed. I couldn't understand why they couldn't just willpower their way to show up and do the work until I had a client who was who was my brother-in-law at the time. He's like, you know, Drew, you don't understand what it's like for me or for people like me, because for you, it's always been easy. And I was like, you know what? You're right it has been easy for me. Why isn't it easy for you? And um, because of that, I started, you know, going on this internal dialogue of like, okay, how can I gain a better understanding? What can I do to better understand? And for whatever reason, this thought of getting fat on purpose, I know it sounds crazy. It kind of like came into my mind and it's like this light bulb went off like, okay, this makes sense. Like, what if I did this? And I documented the journey on a website, people could follow it. So I started talking to friends and family and I was married at the time. So I talked to my wife. I'm like, hey, I had this crazy idea to do this experiment. What do you think? And everyone was like, oh, my gosh, that sounds crazy. You should totally do it. So and my wife was pregnant at the time with our first daughter. She was like, yeah, you should you should totally do it. And um, sorry, she was pregnant with our second daughter. Actually, sorry. <laughs> 2011 is when I had this idea. So she was pregnant with our second daughter. And she's like, yeah, you should definitely do it. And so I was like, OK. So I decided to, uh, for six months, stop exercising completely and eat a standard American diet, document the whole journey on a website. People could follow along and then I would gain some weight and then I would lose it. And then boom, I would magically have a better understanding. But little did I know that that would be one of the most humbling things 
I would ever experience that would totally change my perception of how I viewed weight loss, health and fitness, the struggles that people deal with when it comes to losing weight and, you know, understanding what emotional eating actually is and understanding how powerful that that connection is um, uh, between emotions and food and how that's not just as simple as willpowering your way out of it. So my eyes were opened and it, and then, you know, it, it kind of went viral and here we are today. Yeah. That must've been some journey because for me, I was never overweight, but obesity does run in my family. So when I was pregnant with my first son and I saw how much I gained, I gained a lot of weight in my pregnancy. So with my first son, I gained 65 pounds. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was so paranoid because my mom was 498 pounds. My sister was 220. Oh. They both had to do the gastric bypass. And I know my older sister, she started gaining weight after she had her first son. So I started panicking when I realized how much weight I've gained. And the next day I had a C-section. The next day in the hospital, I started walking around that hallway with, with the little baby just around the hallway. Like, we're starting to do cardio next day, right? Because I was so traumatized of having gaining all that weight. So hearing that you had done this on purpose to get a better understanding of your clients, I thought it was a very beautiful thing. So that's how I was. I found you and I started following you and following your journey. But the reason why I felt called to invite you on the podcast was because of your healing journey. And that's what really sparked for me the interest to have this conversation with you because I feel it's very important, especially, you know, I see the trend of how men are starting to come to healing. But to me, it's such a beautiful and important thing for men to do this work. So to see someone do it, I think it's so special. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And this is kind of the stuff that I'm more passionate about. Like, sure, we can talk about diet and exercise and how I gained the weight and how I lost the weight. But for me, you know, the reason I'm so passionate about talking about doing the inner work is because of my personal journey, which has to do honestly with fit to fit. That's kind of where the genesis of all of this started. And I didn't realize it at the time that what I was doing um, with fit to fit would become kind of a mirror of what I was going to be going through, you know, with the divorce uh, after being married for 10 years and hitting rock bottom. And it's so interesting because I did the journey of fit to fit to fit again in 2020 as a 40 year old, having done the work. And it was a totally different experience versus the first time I was very naive and not uh, super unaware of what the work even was or being self-aware of like, you know, uh, emotional intelligence. I just didn't know what I didn't know until the second time I did it. It was just a a completely different experience gaining the weight and losing the weight. So yeah, for me, the healing journey has been kind of the rock of what my brand is about. And it it ties so much into physical fitness that people don't realize. And so I love talking about, you know, the inner work versus the outer work and how they go hand in hand. And so I appreciate you letting me talk about all of it here on your podcast. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I'm also a national personal trainer. I don't train anybody anymore, but I also felt called to help people. I just didn't understand that I would end up being a healer. And in yeah. I, I really do understand how important the fitness aspect is with the healing. You know, we hold energy in our body. We hold trauma in our body. So movement is so important. So definitely right on 
the head with the fitness being part of the healing journey for sure. Yeah. And I think for me, it's my, my perception of fitness has changed over the years, even though I still work out and eat healthy, it's kind of from a place of self-love and worthiness versus a place of uh, self-hate and a place of feeling unworthy. And I felt like if I had this body that looked good, that would kind of fill this void that I was trying to fill, which I didn't know I was trying to do at the time. But I was like, I was like, oh, this feels good. People give me praise for having a six pack and having muscles. So, you know, that I'm going to keep doing this to fill this void. But it became an obsession, became unhealthy at times where, you know, it was just all about my physical appearance. Because if I didn't have that, then who was I? And when I did fit to fit, to fit the first time, I kind of had a, I freaked out. I'll be totally honest with you. Like I wanted to go up to strangers and explain to them that I wasn't really overweight, that this was just an experiment I was doing, but I really was this healthy fit guy because I'd built an identity around my body. I think a lot of us do this, whether you're fit in shape or whether you're overweight, we kind of create this, we create our body image as our self image. And when we do that and our bodies change, whether you get pregnant or you do fit to fit to fit or who knows, like our bodies can change, you know, with wrinkles as we age, or you can lose a limb or become disfigured. There's a million ways our bodies can change. If you create an identity around your body image as your self image, you're kind of setting yourself up for heartache at some point, because your body will eventually change. And when I did fit to fit to fit, the first time I gained 75 pounds in six months, and it was very, very uncomfortable. It was very hard for me to even, I didn't even take my shirt off in public that, that first experiment to be totally honest with you. I, was too afraid. I was too ashamed. I didn't know who I was. So I had this huge identity crisis that really woke me up to realize at some point that there's more to me than my body. And there's more to people than just their physical body. There's more to you than just the amount of body fat you have. The problem is that we buy into the myth in our society and our culture that you are your body. And if you look a certain way, then you fit in, right? If you're skinny, fit, healthy, looking, and if you're overweight, then you're kind of labeled as less than or lazy or this or that, right? There's a lot of judgments based on your outward appearance. And it's unfortunate because so many of us, millions of us buy into that myth that, you know, someone teases us or makes fun of us because the way our body looks, then we we sort of start to believe that. And then we kind of change our patterns. We change our perception of ourselves because no kid grows up just hating their body. They have to learn that at some point, right? Someone teaches them like, hey, you're not worthy because you look this way. And then they're like, oh, I never noticed that. Oh, I should probably you know, cover up or take care of myself or hide this or hide that. And then the shame sinks in and we become domesticated. And so, you know, this all comes from doing the inner work on myself, which started from not just fit to fit to fit. That's where it kind of started. But me hitting rock bottom was going through a divorce after fit to fit to fit 1.0 and then leaving my religion at the same time which happened in like 2014-ish. And those two things were also part of my identity, right? A married man for 10 years, all of a sudden, you know, not all of a sudden, but my relationship ended. And then leaving my religion around the same time, which I had been in for the first 34 years of my life. And um, <laughs> that right there was like, okay, without these things, who am I? Like, what am I? What am I doing here? And you have to go on the self-discovery journey to figure out who you really are. And that took me stepping out of my comfort zone, meditating, right? Never meditated in my entire life, learned how to meditate, went to therapy for the first time, uh, hired a life coach, started reading books, listening to podcasts, personal development, self-help, and started journaling and 
you know, even dabbled with plant medicine and things that really expanded my consciousness to shift my perception of myself, to see myself, not as all these thoughts and all these, you know, uh, identities that we can create and these hats that we wear, but as the observer of all those, right? Like, Hey, I'm drew the dad. I'm drew the fit guy. I'm drew the entrepreneur, the fit to fit to fit guy. Like these are all hats that I wear or masks that I wear, but they're not, they're parts of me, but they're not, I'm not just one of those things. Like that's not my whole identity is just drew the dad or drew the fit guy or drew the fit to fit to fit guy or whatever it is. There's more to me than that. And um, I would say to, to people, if this isn't making sense, there's a, there's an aspect to doing the inner work that affects the outer work. So even though I might look the same on the outside, I take care of my body. Doing it from a place of self-love versus a place of self-hate is a game changer. And I think that, that makes the journey so much more fulfilling, right? Because if you're coming from a place of self-hate and unworthiness and feeling less than, you can get ripped and shredded based off that. You can do the David Goggins approach of like beating yourself up mentally and pushing yourself to do ultra marathons and like diet really hardcore and get your body to look a certain way. But you'll realize that you never quite fill the void. You're like, man, I'm, I'm skinny, I'm fit, but I'm still miserable. I still hate myself, right? And these, these um, negative thoughts are still there. And these negative, uh, you know, self-beliefs are still there. Until you learn how to do the inner work and free yourself of those those negative self thoughts and the inner self critic, and then once you do the work, it's not as simple as just like, okay, I did the work, I did a thirty day program, and now I'm healed. It's a journey of years and years, and still to this day, it will always be a journey. Just like physical fitness is, you can't just get the body and then stop working out. It has to become a part of your lifestyle. Every single day has to be a conscious choice to be like, okay, how do I want to show up today? So anyways, um, hopefully this is helpful to you or people listening. Um, just, you know, thanks for allowing me to share, you know, that part of my journey. You're welcome. Absolutely. I say healing is, we're like an onion with different layers, different layers. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how deep you are in your healing journey. Shit is always going to come up. Yeah. But I was just um, saying yesterday, I had an inner child workshop and I was letting them know that the more work that you do, the more aware you become. And then the stuff that comes up for you to deal with could be harder, but you're in a better place to deal with them. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah? that's so true. Yeah, because I think, you know, the problems of life aren't going to go away. The challenges are still going to be there, but your perception of those challenges changes and shifts. So, so like, for example, a lot of people, you know, they hate parts of their body or they, they look at food a certain way, whereas they look at certain food as good or bad. And if I eat this food, then I am bad. And if I eat this food, then I am good. And um, I think because of that perception, a lot of people get stuck in this vicious cycle of, you know, they'll be good for a while. They'll willpower their way for 30, 60, 90 days to change their body. But then life still happens. The emotional challenges of life are still there. And then it causes them to self-sabotage or derail or go back to their old thought patterns. And then they beat themselves even uh, beat themselves up even more because they're like, why can't I just do the thing that other people do? And it, it, it isn't until you realize you, you do the inner work, you become more self-aware. You start to connect the dots of why you are the way you are. There's a really good book that I love by Oprah called What Happened to You. And instead of saying what's wrong with you or what's wrong with me, 
you say what happened to me and it causes you, forces you to look back on your life of all the events that took place from you being in this world with your parents, your siblings, your teachers, your coaches, the music you listened to, the movies you saw, experiences you had that have shaped you and molded you into who you are today. And you have to do the self-discovery process of like, why am I the way I am? Where did this first stem from? Where did this 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 idea of, of unworthiness first come from? And you start to connect the dots and you're like, okay, this is why I do this. And so in these high stress situations with my spouse or my finances or my kids, when I'm triggered, it causes me to reach for the cake or the alcohol or the drug to escape, right? Um, or it forces me to, you know, it triggers me to want to self-sabotage and do whatever the unhealthy habit is. And when you become aware of it, you become more in control of it. There's a really good quote by Anthony DeMello who says, what you are aware of, you're in control of. And what you're not aware of is in control of you. And so as you become more aware of why you are the way you are and what you do, then you can start to say, oh, now, and now you kind of sit, take a step back and you're, you become the observer. You're like, okay, I feel triggered. This thing happened. And I feel my emotions of like anger or sadness or frustration or rage, whatever the emotions are. And it's like, you're just observing it. You're not judging it. You're just observing what's happening. And you're like, okay, I normally would reach for the cookie or the brownie or the alcohol. What do I want to do in the situation? And if you could create space between stimulus and reaction in that space is where you have power you have your power back to choose right to consciously choose which path do i want to choose do i want to self-sabotage and eat the cake and ice cream which will make me feel good temporarily give me a little dopamine hit just like any drug would do or do i want to choose the path that i know is going to be better for my higher self in the long run in the short term yes it's going to suck to eat chicken and broccoli versus eating cake and ice cream or in the short short term, it's going to suck to do a hard workout where you're sweating and your muscles are burning and you're you're you know breathing really heavy. But in the long term, you know that that's going to help you feel better and more fulfilled in the long term. And so you start to realize, okay, I can make the better decision for myself as you become the observer and you create that space. And self awareness is the real key of transformation. It's not some magical diet or some magical pill or some magical workout. And if I just find the right workout or the right plan, that's going to fix all my problems. Once I get this body, it's, it's understanding you on a deeper level and building that self-awareness to create that space to then choose consciously choose. Okay. This is the right path for me. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. You're still going to be human, <laughs> but at least you're becoming aware of why you do what you do and why you're choosing what you're choosing. I, Touch based on that all the time, the self-awareness and that space, that space is so powerful. And you do feel like you're watching a movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> you get and sometimes it's a very frustrating movie or sometimes a very entertaining movie yeah. if you look at it a certain way, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of observing, a lot of observing yourself and your pa patterns because our subconscious mind, its job is to protect us. And we're navigating through life not knowing what we've because of the programming like you explained we don't know why we're acting the way that we are why we are the way that why are we reaching for certain things and we feel like we're out of control and it's not until we do this inner work and i've seen it with my clients when i used to train them they wouldn't lose weight and the minute i started learning more about this healing work and i became a life coach and i started coaching them the weight started coming off 
it's so interesting, the connection between our physical health and our mental and emotional health. And I tell people all the time, your ability to do the physical stuff, the diet, the exercise, the supplements, like staying consistent with all the physical things is determined by your mental and emotional state. Now, sure, you can willpower your way for a few, you know, a short period of time. But if you want lasting change for the long term, it has to come from a place of self-love and worthiness. And, you know, it's, it's interesting once you realize that the journey becomes so much more enjoyable and more fulfilling. You actually don't see the journey or the process as a chore, whereas most people look at it as like, oh, I have to eat healthy. I have to eat vegetables. I have to work out like it's so hard. I just want an easy button. You start realizing that you're worthy to do the hard things. You're worthy to do the process. And then the lifestyle change happens when you learn to fall in love with the process. You're like, this process, yes, it's hard in the short term, but I freaking love it and I, because I know I'm worthy of the change that it's going to bring. And now you're not doing the process in hopes to get these results, in hopes that those results will then fix your happiness. You become happy in the doing and the becoming of the whole process part. And the results become a byproduct of, 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 of loving the process. And, you know, that's where the change eventually happens and it becomes, you know, lasting change instead of just short-term success. And that's really the key that people really don't see when it comes to transformation. They have been molded and programmed to think if I do this 90 day program, then I will look like this. Then I will love myself and be happy because I'll have this body. But it's just like chasing after money. Like once I have this much money or this much power and fame and glory and this car and this house, then I will be happy. You're chasing happiness outside of you from an outside source, right? Once I have this body, once I have this much money, then I'll be happy. And then before you know it, you're 70 years old, never been happy because you are chasing outside of yourself until you do the inner work and realize that happiness comes from within. It comes from the doing of the process, like the, the daily, boring, mundane stuff. But your perception of the stuff is like, it's not boring anymore. I love, you know, waking up and meditating and journaling and, you know, connecting to nature, connecting with friends and moving my body, not as a form of punishment, but as a form of self-love. And that's the biggest game changer that I've seen and working with clients as well is, is, is helping them uh, shift their perception of of what success actually looks like in health and fitness. Right. It makes a huge difference. I agree 100%. Mm -hmm. I, I've seen it with myself, with my own journey, because I've done the whole beating myself up, the David Goggins mentality. I've done so many favorite yeah. cars, like, I don't know how many times I've competed <laughs> twice, you know, very yeah. hard. And the la this year, really, I've tried to step more into my feminine energy and just figure out like what feels right. For me, I don't want to do a workout because I have to like what feels right. What movements do I want to do? You know, today, is it yoga? Is it just with the yoga? I've I'm a yoga instructor as well. And there's power yoga, there's yin yoga. And when I was first introduced to yin yoga, I thought it was the most boring thing because I was so used to the hardcore like movement and the fast and the push ups and all the chaturangas, all of that. But now yin is probably my favorite form of yoga because hmm. we're able to surrender. Yeah, I think surrendering is such a beautiful word because we look at that as a weakness, hmm. you know, surrendering, letting go. And what I've realized really? from doing like, yeah, therapy is, is, you know, we think we're in control and our ego wants to be in control. So learning to let go 
is actually a beautiful way of looking at, at how to be free from anxiety and worry and depression. Because when we're anxious and worried and depressed, it's because we're trying to hold on to control of what's uncontrollable, whether it's from God or the universe or whether it's from family members or friends, people we can't control. We're trying to control all of that. And in trying to control all that, it just gives us anxiety and makes us worry and makes us depressed because it's like, this shouldn't have happened to me. You look at life happening to you when actually life is happening for you. And if you could reframe your mindset and look at life happening for you instead of to you, then, and, and surrender to it, then just realize that, oh, this thing that maybe is bad or, you know, quote unquote bad or is hard is happening to me. You're saying, okay, why is this happening for me? What can I learn from this? What's the lesson to be learned from this so that I can grow so having that growth mindset versus a victim mindset is so freeing, but you have to learn to let go because our egos want to be in control because it's scary to let go and surrender is freaking scary because now you have to live in the unknown and living in the unknown. We don't like that because we don't know what it's going to bring, <laughs> but almost all the time, whether it's something hard you go through or something beautiful that you go through, it's all for your greater good. And that's kind of one of the biggest life lessons that I've realized as well on this journey is learning to let go and surrender of what is. It doesn't mean we don't fight for what we want. We still fight. I like this whole, um, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about high engagement, low attachment. So it doesn't mean you don't fight for what you want. You're highly engaged in, in, in doing the work. You're highly engaged in fighting for what you want, but you're not attached to the outcome to the point of if this outcome happens, then I'll be happy. And if it doesn't happen, then I'll be devastated. Right. Because when we do that, when we're highly engaged and highly attached, then we're setting ourselves up for heartache and failure. And if you can learn to not be attached as much to the outcome, but you're highly engaged in the process, that's where I think the, the magic, you know, the secret sauce is, if you will, of, of life. And so yeah, letting go and surrendering is something that I've, I'm not, not perfect at, but because I have kids and every day I'm tested with like, okay, just let go, surrender. It's like, no, I want to control you and make sure you're safe. And, you know, it's a test every day. It's, it's not easy to surrender, especially me. I've always been such a control freak. And a lot of this work is just completely allowing yourself. And I see it a lot with my clients. They, they're scared of what might come up. Yeah. But yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's great. That's what we're working with. Right. And it is very ego driven a lot of the times. And ego is either in the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain. So when we're True. working with, you know, whether it's working out or addicted to, you know, working or avoiding some distractions and scrolling social media and having any types of addictions, it's either in the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain. So we need to look a little bit deeper so we could get more connected to our spirit and our soul so we live a better fulfilled life. And um, what you were saying about the non-attachment, that has been such a huge game changer for me because I know the things that I want. I know the goals that I want. But if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it's because I know that something better is for me. And learning yeah. that rejection is redirection. Mm. Those things yeah. that Programming myself to those beliefs have been completely game-changing for me. Yeah. And this is why it's so important to have someone like you as a coach or, um, you know, helping people guide them because they think, you know, I'm going to come to this person. They're going to help me lose weight. 
But what they don't realize is this journey of physical transformation is going to be way more mental and emotional than they think. And it's going to cause them to look at their inner demons and to face those hard things, even though they don't want to. So having someone guide them through those uncomfortable emotions of this physical journey and tying it all together is so important. And this is where I see fitness shifting in the future of not just this physical thing that we do for 90 days and then get this body. It's something that's connected to the mental, emotional, spiritual side of transformation. And it becomes more of a holistic approach to, to transformation. And so my hope is that, you know, for people like you and me that are doing the inner work can help people connect the dots while they're on this physical fitness journey, if you will, to see the connection and the parallels between uh, the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, because it's going to be so much more fulfilling and it's going to be so much more lasting um, changes in the long run if they understand what's happening and, and how to navigate the difficult emotions of of being in the unknown and surrendering to what is. And I'm not going to lie. It's a lot of work. It's it's freaking just like working out, just the like getting the body. Work. <laughs> yeah, it's I would take doing physically hard things all day over like, okay, I got to face this part of myself and, you know, uh, work on breaking these cycles and um, <clears throat> these patterns because it's a conscious effort every day. Um, I'm reading a book by um, the holistic psychologist, uh, Dr. Nicole LaPera, who talks uh, in her first book, How to Do the Work. And she's like, we the, the average person spends only 5% of their, their day conscious, aware, like a, in the present moment. And 95%, you're on autopilot. You're just checked out. You're on the subconscious level. It's just like, okay, our brain has figured out how to wake ourselves up, You know, eat your food, get ready for work, drive to work, sit there, do the thing, and then come back home. And then before you know it, you're just like, you know, what did I do? Did I even take a breath? Did I even, was I even aware that I was breathing? Like most people are, don't even just sit with just being in the present moment, sitting with their breath. And it's just so interesting how checked out we are. And so this is why, you know, doing the inner work is, it's not easy. It's mental energy. And just like, you know, to transform your body, you got to do some hard and comfortable things, but to transform your mind, which is the most important part, you're going to have to do some hard and comfortable things <laughs> for your mind, you know? And I think giving people, you know, little mini training sessions of things they could do throughout the day, like, for example, meditation is a great method, yoga is a great method, breathwork is a great method, getting out in nature, being disconnected from your phone, you know, watching the sunset, watching the sunrise, being present with your kids, um, the little things that will make the biggest difference is learning how to come to the present moment because we are checked out 95% of the time right? Because it is effort. Like, okay, I am conscious. Your your brain wants to go the easy route of being in the subconscious mind because it's safe and it's comfortable. And it's just like, okay, we're on autopilot. We know how to do this now. But to be conscious and aware, it's like, okay, I'm triggered. I'm not going to react though. And that takes effort. Or I'm not going to yell at my kid because they did this thing that I would just be like, why are you doing that? You know, like, why did you spill the milk? Right. And that's just reaction. But when you become conscious and aware, you can Instead of reacting, you pause, take a few deep breaths, and you can consciously choose and thoughtfully respond to the stimulus that's happening. And then that's where you become awake, if you will, or more in control of your destiny. Yeah. I used to have really bad road rage, and um, <laughs> yeah. that's not the case anymore. <laughs> and I, I didn't realize until the other day when I was driving with my sister 
that somebody cut me off and she was in the passenger seat and she's going off and I'm just looking at her because I didn't even realize to me it's just like whatever you know I just yeah it didn't even phase me at all and it wasn't until that moment when I saw her reaction that I realized shit I've come a long way (laughs) yeah I didn't even notice that the guy yeah that's me off that's so cool. It's cool to become aware of like, oh, I used to do this and now I'm not oh, doing yeah. that. And it's just like, oh, it's good to see your progress and realize like how far you've come. And sometimes you're just unaware of it because you're like, oh, this is just who I am now. Right. But anyways, that's really cool. You had that experience, you know, road rage is not good for anyone because <laughs> you don't know what the other person is thinking. Right. This is why I love like, the, what they're going through. Yeah. This is why I this is why I love the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz of like, don't take things personally and don't make assumptions. Those are the two of the four agreements that I love the most because you don't, you you're making assumptions about this person. Like what's this idiot doing? Why are they doing that? And you have no idea who that person is, what they've been through, what their day has been like. And who knows, they could just be some idiot that made a dumb decision, or they could just be some person that's checked out because they're going through a hard time in life. Maybe their mom just died and they're unaware of the situation. You just don't know. And so when you don't take it personally, then then you don't have to carry that burden of of hate and anger and rage. And that's heavy emotions. That's that is energy sucking right there. Because you can't control that. You can't control what that person did or why they did it. You can't just go like take them out and shake them and say, why are you the way, like, what's wrong with you? Like, what, what are you doing? You just, you'll never have an answer. So letting it go and not taking it personally and not making assumptions is so powerful when you can learn how to do that. It takes time, but it's yeah, possible. Because that is a result of also doing the work. Because if, when we take everything personal, it's because we have these beliefs about ourselves. People are attacking us. Yeah. Yeah, we take it personally. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you share your handle and where people could find you? Yeah, so it's super simple. Right now, everything is branded fit number two, fat number two, fit. So fit to fat to fit with the number two in between, uh, .com. Uh, those are all my social media handles as well. It's my the name of my podcast, the name of my first book. And so, yeah, it's pretty consistent. Um, but yeah, people can find me at fit2fit2fit.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. If you have any last messages for our listeners, feel free to share it. Yeah. Yeah, I would just say everyone out there, you are worthy to fight for your physical health, your mental, emotional, spiritual health. Um, you really are. And there's more to you than just your physical appearance. There's more to you than just your body. And just remember that on your journey, you're worthy of love. You're worthy of loving yourself, no matter what happened to you. It's not your fault what happened to you. But now as an adult, it's your responsibility to show up and heal uh, what hurt you. Because if you don't heal what hurt you, you're going to bleed on those who didn't cut you. Whether it's your kids or your grandkids or your spouse or your loved ones, it's up to you to do the work. Even though it's hard, you're worth it to fight and do the work so that you don't bleed on those who didn't who didn't cut you. And I think that's how we make this world a better place is not by trying to fix other people. We have to do the inner work first and learn to love ourselves and have empathy for ourselves. And if we can do that, it's so much easier to love and have empathy for other people. Right. I agree. Thanks for me. You're appreciate welcome. You me on. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your beautiful story. All right, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. And remember, it's not all love and light.